Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Hey, good morning. We are in the book of Romans. Uh, thankful for Scott and Dawn who shared the last couple of weeks and heard they did amazing uh, and we're just going to, yeah. And so we are going to just dive on in. I'm not going to share a lot of stories or anything because we have a lot of scripture to read, if that's okay. Uh, worship went a bit long for us, t- so if it's okay, hang in there. We'll just go a little bit longer than we normally do today. Wendy's will wait. They w- everything's going to be okay. Okay. So... Um, we started three weeks ago talking about the book of Romans. Um, it really is a masterpiece written by Paul. It's called the Manifesto of Christian Living, is the book of Romans. And it really is. Paul explains so many things in here. In fact, maybe you're not supposed to have favorites, but I do. John 15, my favorite chapters in the Bible, and Romans 8, which we're about to get to. Just incredible. You could just live there. And there's messages for hours on every verse. But we're going to read through much of this and just see what the Lord says to us. So, Lord, we just ask that you'd open our hearts, our minds. Help us to, as we read your word, I ask that you would expand and expound on the inside by your spirit. In Jesus' name, thank you so much, Father, for this word that is powerful and alive. And ask that you'd use it in our lives. Lord, may we see clearly. May we live before you in such a right way. You are worthy of it all, Lord. And we do ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Romans 6, I'm going to talk about Romans 7 and 8. But since it's one letter, let me read the very end of Romans 6. Since it kind of gives a little context to what he's about to talk, to, talk about in 7. Verse 20 of Romans 6 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but, thank you God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift, eternal life. Sin kills naturally and it kills eternally. But God's free gift of forgiveness, repentance, and the giving of a spirit is eternal life in Jesus. So his letters continues from there into chapter 7. So let's start reading this, starting with verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies... She is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. 
Paul uses this as a parallel, as an example of the law, the commandments. Verse 4, therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. He did it for us. So that you might be joined to another, not joined to the law, to him who raised, who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. That is beautifully said. Water baptism happens to be that outward expression of this very thing that's just described there, right? We are dying to the law, all the commandments that we could not fulfill. You have to live perfectly to do that. We did not. Jesus did. So we're dying to what we, the sin of our life and the sin that we were, in, was, were given, and we are living in Jesus, in his resurrection, Amen. and his death also, joined with him in rising to new life. It's incredible. So that we can bear fruit in our lives. Verse 5, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. We're not living to the law. We're living for Jesus. We're living for him with his life, his resurrected life on the inside of us, empowering us to be victorious over sin. Here, Paul is explaining that living to rules is not the highest that God had planned from the beginning. In the garden, when God made Adam and Eve, the first thing he did was not to give them a bunch of rules and law. He didn't say, here are the 613 commandments. That's not how it started. He gave them himself in relationship, and through that relationship, they were to live. He gave them one rule. Remember it? Do not eat of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't fill your mind with the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat that poison. That was the one thing. Of course, mankind lived like savages, chose the enemy over God in relationship with the Father, and God had no choice but to come in and give the law later, much later, hundreds of years later. Over a thousand years later, the law came, a couple thousand. And it was to keep us from killing ourselves, killing one another, committing adultery, all of those things, coveting, all of those things God had to bring in because we did not do this the right way. We exchanged God for the enemy, and so he had to bring the law. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. It's kind of like when you tell your kids, don't touch that. What do they want to do? They want to touch that. That's what happened when the law came. This isn't good. Don't do it. Well, what does our nature want to do? We want to do that thing. That's what he's saying here. For apart from the law, the sin is dead. I 
was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. Verse 11, for sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Sin really is an agent of the devil that kills and produces more sin. Verse 12, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. It's not the law isn't bad. It's a good thing. It exposes what sin is. If we didn't have it, we wouldn't know. I'm so thankful for that law that shows us, particularly morally, shows us what is wrong. It's so very clear. Very grateful for the law. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. The law isn't the cause of sin. It's the exposure of it. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. At the fall, that happened. And then Paul begins to share some of his personal struggle. Verse 15, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. I don't want to be doing this thing, and I find myself doing this thing. The very thing I don't want to be doing. And that's that bondage to sin. It pulls. It's like a magnet to want to do the wrong thing, our flesh, our carnal nature. 16, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Of course, the law can't fix or repair anyone. It can't restore. It can identify and show what sin is, but it can't help. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which is in me. Verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who can set me free from the body of this death? And here's the answer. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the one who has set me free from that. Therefore, since he has, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If we live in him, for the law of the spirit of the life 
in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. I'll read that again. For the law of the, this is a new law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the sin, excuse me, the law of sin and death. An exchange, brand new law. The law of the spirit of life in Jesus is now in me. And I'm freed from that old law. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Started off there, verse 1, that there's no condemnation to you who are in Jesus, but there is condemnation to sin, and Jesus condemned sin. So the requirement of the law, which is perfect living, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul is sharing with us that there's a new way to live where we are not bound by sin all the time. But we have to live according to the Spirit. We have to learn how to live according to the Spirit. How How do we do that? How do we follow the Spirit and and allow the power of what Jesus has done to overpower the sin that tugs at me and pulls me? Paul helps us understand some of this. So there's Jesus did his part on the cross and the resurrection. And then we have our part, which he talks about next. Verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh, they do something. They set their minds on the things of the flesh which is that nasty tree that Adam and Eve ate in the beginning. They set their mind on the wrong thing. And when we set our minds on the wrong thing, then it's like it empowers that sin nature. And we're not using the power of what Jesus has done by his spirit on the inside. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, verse 6, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's not pleasing to God when our mind is set on the flesh, Setting our minds on God, on Jesus. How do we do that? It's a choice, first off. One of the things that Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, he said, if anybody wants to follow me, any person, any single one person, here's what you need to do. You need to take up your cross daily and die, right? And come follow me. There is a, even for believers, there's a daily dying to that flesh, carnal nature that wants to do all the wrong things. It's not a one time I receive salvation and now I don't have to fight the flesh. Nope, it's, Jesus said it. It's daily. It's a daily thing. And it has a lot to do with what we allow in here in our mind, what I'm focusing on. The world's system, the culture of the world, and I'm going to talk about everything from news to entertainment, is filled, it's, it's, 
knowledge of the earthy, of the worldly, and if those are the things that are feeding us, then we will be bound to sin. It pulls the wrong direction. We have to cause our minds to be filled with the Spirit, filled with the Word of God, filled with what Jesus says more than what the world says. There's, it's impossible to have more of the world's voices in my head and my eyes looking at all the world's stuff and live by the Spirit. So, man, it's important what we allow in these eyes, what we allow in these ears, what we spend our time thinking about. What am I thinking about? What am I thinking about? I am to be thinking about what the Spirit is thinking about. What are you thinking about, Lord? You know, when I am living in the Spirit, I find myself, when I'm driving, praying for people that I see in other cars, it's a different, instead of just focused on me or on music or something like that, it is, I find there's something completely different going on in the spirit realm, in God's realm, and what he wants us to be thinking about than the natural realm of all the self-based things and culture feeding all kind of craziness all the time. God wants us to live by the spirit, be led by the spirit. Hebrews 12.2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus. You can't fix your eyes on Jesus and be thinking about a bunch of crud at the same time. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. We we're just singing today. I'm, I'm eating of him. I'm drinking of him. That is fixing your eyes on Jesus. He invited that. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Spiritual thing. It's partaking of him. Yes, we have to live in this world, but I need to, all of the time, refocus on him. Follow him. Think about his word. Read his words. It causes life on the inside of me. Verse 9, however, you, reminding us of who we are, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Do you have the Spirit of Christ? Yes, you do. Why don't you say that? I have the Spirit of Christ. He dwells in me. I can be led by His Spirit. Amen. That is who you are. Paul's reminding us. You are not of the flesh. You're of the Spirit. That's who you are. And we need to stay there in the Spirit. If Christ is in you, verse 10, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Spirit is alive because of Jesus and what he's done for me. And I'm in him and he's in me. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You know, find a passage to proclaim over your body if it needs healing. There's a great one right there. Yes, amen. Read it again. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, yes, he does. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who indwells you. Yes. 
Verse 12, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Death is a result of living in sin. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, we don't have to do this on our own. We just have to choose him over the other stuff. And then the Spirit of God empowers us to live a life not bound to sin. Doesn't say we won't make mistakes, but when we sin and fall and make a mistake, we just repent and say, Jesus, forgive me. Man, I shove this in this light. I shove this sin. I don't want it. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. And that thing is gone. I want to get back in the Spirit. I want to live by the Spirit. I want to live by your ways. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. There's an indicator if you're a son of God is, are we being led by him? Are we being led by ourselves? Are we being led by the flesh? Are we being led by our desires? Or am I being led by the Spirit? Children of God are led by the Spirit of God. That's a powerful statement. And we can just say yes to Jesus right now. We want to be led by you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we choose this moment today to be led by you because we are your sons, we're your daughters. In fact, we're called Awake Church here, which came from Ephesians chapter 5, being awakened sons and daughters. You're awakened to who you are as a son and a daughter, which is the highest thing, appellation, the highest title in the entire world, the entire universe, really. As a human, it's that I'm a son, I'm a daughter. For you have not received a spirit leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. There is a crying out of Abba, Father. I told you about my three conversion experiences. Converted to Jesus, converted to the Spirit, and then converted to the Father. And it's interesting, Paul describes all three of those right here in chapter 8. Of what Jesus has done, and then being led by the Spirit, and then being adopted by the Father, crying out, Abba, Father. He wants you to know you're adopted. He wants you to know that you are so loved that you cannot escape it. And living in that love was Jesus' secret to fulfilling his purpose on the earth. And living in his love is our secret to fulfilling what he's called you to do. Living as a son, living as a daughter. It's the only way. It's not getting more information. It's living more as a son and a daughter in the Father's love. And our spirit cries out, Abba, Father, I've got a dad. I've got a wonderful father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. The Holy Spirit's testifying with our spirit. Our spirit is testifying on the inside. Agreeing with him that we are children of God. If that hasn't happened for you yet, I want to pray that it does, even right now. Holy Spirit, if there's not been a testifying in the spirit of every person in here that they are a child of God, may that happen. May their spirit testify and agree with your spirit, and they can know who they are. In Jesus' name.
Do that, Lord, for all of us. It is a beautiful thing. The striving goes away. The striving goes away. The wondering and the questions of do I measure up and what does God think and all those things go away when you really have that conversion to the Father. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him, following Jesus, being led by the Spirit, denying our fleshly lusts, it means there'll be suffering of various kinds. It's part of it. Suffering the loss of relationships. You follow Jesus and people aren't going to like you. Suffering criticism. Some suffering torture in other nations. I've been reading the worst place right now as far as people being Christians being killed is Nigeria. It's happening nearly every day. They're coming into churches, a church like this, and they just come into Boko Haram. They come in to wipe them all out if they're Christians. Suffering all around the world in various ways, but worth it all. Worth it all. We have no idea now how magnificent being glorified with him will be. We cannot even imagine. I cannot. We cannot. But it will be beyond our imagination, being glorified with Jesus, which says will happen. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's treasure beyond anything you can find here. The glory to be revealed to us says of Jesus when he returns that he will bring his reward with him. Verse 19, for the anxious longing of creation, everything that God has made. Do you realize that everything God has made has an anxious longing? There's longing inside of everything God made. It it waits eagerly for the revealing of who? The sons of God, you and I. Creation itself, from everything in the universe, has this internal wondering and waiting and this eager expectation of when are the ones that God made in his image going to behave like they're made in his image. I have this uh, suspicion that when, and I can see this like in a vision of when God was forming Adam and the earth in the Garden of Eden with dirt, I mean, he just created all the animals, all the, I mean, there's creatures all over the place. They're angels. Who knows what else is there? God is in, on his knees in the soil forming man. And when he raises him out from the earth, breathes life into him, first CPR, breathes life into him, he becomes a living being. I think that every creature and everything God made, the trees, the grass, the flowers, everything, was shocked. I really do. Why? Because he looked like God. Made in his image. I think the whole creation went, oh, this isn't a bird. This isn't some sort of animal that you just made. You just made someone that looks like you. The Made in the image of God. And that creation, I believe, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later to today is waiting to see that creature 
walk in who they are called to be. To see themselves as, I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. All of creation is waiting for this. Why? Because one of the reasons we were put here was to cultivate the earth and to be a blessing to the entire planet. Not the opposite. And the entire solar system is waiting for us to be a blessing, to behave like God does. I was uh, at some property this last week, and there was a fence line, barbed wire fence. That's all it is, barbed wire fence. On this side of the barbed wire fence, and it's all uncultivated. It's just wild. Trees and everything. On this side of the fence, green grass this high. On that side of a barbed wire fence, death and brown. Well, this property is owned by believers who have been speaking over their land and cleansing that land and calling it forth to be what it's supposed to be. And that land does not have that. You and I have more than what we realize we have. If we know we're a son or a daughter of God, then our words and what we think about is led by the Spirit, and things are said and done that change atmosphere, change the world that we're in, change someone's life. You speak a word of encouragement. Things can change if we know who we are. It's a beautiful thing. And creation, I mean, if we could, if we could just say to the rocks and the trees and the birds, just go ahead and say what you're thinking. I think they're going to say that. It's like, wake up. Come on, sons. Come on, daughters, rise to who you're supposed to be. Quit thinking about crud. Quit dealing all this sexual stuff and all this mess. That's not who you are. We were put here to rule and to reign. That was the original intent, to rule and to reign over everything that God made. Bring balance and order and help organize things, cultivate, rip out weeds, all that stuff. Creation is waiting eagerly for this, for us to know who we are, for us to get adopted and know we're adopted. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. How was it subjected to futility? The sin of Adam and Eve. Curse came on the land. On the earth because of Adam and Eve's sin. And then Jesus broke the curse, and those representatives of him are supposed to go breaking that curse off of all the land too. When I buy a piece of property, like the house we live, one of the things I first do, I walk around that land with my family, go to the four corners of that land, and cleanse it in the name of Jesus and break the power of any darkness, anything that has happened over that land, all the way down to the center of the earth. I believe when you own a piece of property, you own that all the way down to the center of the earth and all the way up to heaven. All right. And we're to speak and proclaim that is cleansed. We've done that over this land. As a church, the land we have right now, we want planes to get blessed as they fly right over this. That there's something different because of who we are. That's not pie in the sky. This is called being a son and a daughter. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. It was our fault. But because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free 
from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation wants to enter into the glory that we have. For we know that the whole creation groans. He spends time on this. Whole creation is groaning. There's a groaning on the inside. Some of those groans may sound like or feel like an earthquake that happens and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already has or sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. God is helping us at every step of the way. Even when we don't know how to pray, He's helping us. He not only has paid the price for our sin, forgiven us, given us the Spirit, then the Spirit is helping us all along the way. It says here, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's so many things we have no idea about and don't understand. But the Spirit of God is interceding for us with groaning sounds that we've never heard before. Praying for us, interceding for us. Verse 27, And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, and we know that God causes, we know this verse, all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. There's so many situations, difficulties that we experience. We don't understand hardships, sufferings. God doesn't necessarily orchestrate all those things. We got the enemy doing all kind of stuff. But you know what? God can make great things come out of difficult situations. He'll work everything together for your good. You love him, you're following him, you're doing the best that you can. doesn't matter what kind of weird things happen. It will turn to good. It will turn to good. Man, we have a great example of that in Joseph, right? Remember Joseph? He's doing everything right. Well, mostly he was not doing everything right. He, was, he had some pride. He was bragging to his brothers about the dreams he was having. So he had some sin himself. But next thing you know, he is enslaved. He's sold. He's, oh my goodness, the horrible, sent to another country, loses his family. And then he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. At that point, he's doing everything right. And things kept getting worse and worse. Then he's thrown in prison. So you're already a slave. Then you're sold to someone else. Then you're falsely accused. Now you're in prison. It just gets worse and worse and worse. But God turned all that to good. Everything the enemy could throw at him, it all got turned around. And next thing you know, he gets promoted and is risen to second in the entire nation. Everything changes for him. And then it's life for a generation after him and a generation after him. His life turned to great good, not just for himself, but for many others. That same thing happens for you and I today too. Verse 29, for those, we're almost done, for those whom he foreknew, in the Passion Translation it says, he knew all about us before we were born. He knew you before you were born. 
He also predestined. He chose to become conformed to the image of his son. So we're talking about conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And and these whom he justified, he also glorified. But, excuse me, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? What does it matter? If God is for us. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Nothing more powerful than God's love for us that he gave us his son. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? That's God's ones who he's invited to live this life in him, you and I. God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Every tribulation, every distress, every difficulty, no matter what happens, we overcome because of his love. The one who loved us. Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities or things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, Any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The love of God overcomes everything against you. This is why Jesus said, abide in my love. Stay there. Don't leave that spot. If you leave that spot, get back quick. Stay in the love of God. We need to, we want to, from Paul's direction here and from everything that Jesus said, to detach ourselves from the world's thinking. From the culture that is twisted. From the world's way of seeing one another. And we want to have and adopt God's way of thinking, the Spirit's way of moving doing things that he would have us do, seeing each other in the way that he sees us. We can have that transformation. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing, right, of your mind. We're transformed to this son or daughter walking around as an image bearer, as a son of God and a daughter of God, when our minds now, which is our job, When we set them on Jesus, he does the transformation. Our job is to set our mind on Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.